Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are completely changing things up this week and we're bringing you four films in one. Yeah. <laughs> be a hard task. Yeah, so um, we're talking about, just to get straight on with it, because uh, we've got a lot to discuss, we are talking about the Scream franchise, uh, directed by Wes Craven and mostly written by Kevin Williamson. So this is uh, one of the only franchises where it's had the same director for every entry. Yeah, yeah. So um, groundbreaking, really, in mm-hmm. the horror genre. Um, there's discussions of Scream 5. Unfortunately, Wes Craven's no longer with us. Um, David Arquette's on board, as far as we know. Yeah. Nev Campbell, potentially. She's in talks. So we thought it would be a good time to discuss the yeah. franchise and, and watch them all. It's been directed again. by uh, Radio Silence, who directed the Fantastic Radio or Not, so I have absolute faith that it's going to be great. Yeah, hopefully. I, I, I'm hoping it comes from a place of fans of, the you know, uh, the Scream quadrilogy yeah i mean for me this is one of my favorite franchises uh i remember watching the first one back in maybe 2004 or five i was young anyway mm-hmm. but um yeah i've always loved it it's, it's always been one of my favorites I uh, the, the the first film was one that everybody always used to discuss in school, and I, I was I was never able to watch it, um, and I always wanted to, and it came on cable, and I got my auntie to videotape it. Showing my age now, got my auntie to videotape it, and she gave it to me, and my mum said, "Oh no, you're not watching that," and she got rid of it, and I never forgave her for it, um, and then I saw, and it, I I remember it quite clearly. It was New Year's Eve, the year 2000, and we were at a, a party, and I was like, what, 12? And uh, Scream 2 was on the TV, and I was like, oh shit, yeah, I can finally watch, you know, one of them now. And the only bit I remember is Randy's death in mm. part two. And that's, that's, you know, all I knew, and then it was sort of, a year or two later, where we managed to get the videotapes of the first three, and then then I watched them properly. So always good memories with these films, and definite nostalgia. Yeah, and uh, one thing we need to mention is, uh, before we dive into this episode, obviously you know we always discuss spoilers, but this franchise is very spoiler-heavy, um, so... It, it relies heavily on, on spoilers. So if you haven't seen... If some miracle chance you haven't seen these films, definitely recommend to go and watch them before listening to this episode. Yeah, it would spoil the enjoyment, I think. Um, as horror films, they definitely an emphasis on the mystery yeah. of the who done it. Absolutely. So, so it's important to watch them yeah, before listening. definitely. But if you have seen them all, then carry on listening. And we'll start in 1996 with Scream, which was made on a $14 million budget. It was a massive success, not at first, but from the magic of word of mouth, it became huge. And it was it was groundbreaking with horror. For me, this was the birth of modern horror, this film. Yeah, by all accounts, horror had died a death. Yeah. And it, it was seen as uncool. It was just all... 
um, shitty sequels or, mm. you know, stuff like Freddy Krueger. I know we had New Nightmare in 94, but that didn't do very well. It was very much a precursor to Scream, though. Yeah, but that hadn't done very well. Yeah. You know, it, w- it wasn't seen as hip horror anymore. And so Scream came along with its really hip cast and mm. all that and made horror relevant again. Yeah, I, I think it has gone from there. I look at everything before this as old school horror and, and everything from this point onwards as modern uh, even though this was obviously you know 1996 even even so I still look at this as modern now um, because this is what's gone on this is it's, you look at films nowadays and you if you're going to have a horror films if you're going to have horror films released each year you're going to have at least one meta horror film yeah or something that knows what it is and is, is in on a joke with itself and that is all thanks to Scream yeah um, so some trivia uh, they originally wanted to film at Santa Rosa High School and they agreed for the, fil- for the film to be shot there because they thought it was a comedy but then they read the script and they changed their minds which led to a uh, a credit in the credits saying no thank you to Santa Rosa High School <laughs> uh, Wes Craven discovered the ghost, ma- the ghost face mask whilst location scouting and uh, the mask was hung on a wall in one of the houses where he was visiting and it's inspired by the uh, screen painting, Pink Floyd's The Wall artwork, and a ghost from a Betty Boop cartoon. Okay. So, I mean, the mask is instantly recognisable um, from this film. Like, no matter who you are, if you've seen the films or not, you know where this mask is from. Yeah. Um, so that is thanks to Scary Movie, I'd say. Because um, even fans that are not fans of the horror genre... You know, they've if they're into comedy and they've watched a scary movie and not particularly watched this, they'll know the mask from that because it's the yeah. exact same. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's also it's also really easy to get hold of. I'm pretty sure every Halloween you go into Poundland or uh, even Tesco somewhere's always got one. It's always a rip off, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, at least yeah. yeah. Um, Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sydney, but she insisted on playing Casey to fool the audience. Yeah, very Janet Lee, isn't it? Mm, yeah. So this is like Janet Lee to the extreme, though, because you get half a film with Janet Lee, and well, with yeah. this, you literally get 10 minutes of Drew Barrymore. And it, it, that completely threw me the first time I watched it as well, because you look at any artwork or any trailers or anything, you see a lot of Drew Barrymore. It it may it makes it look like it's her film, and then she's killed off in the first ten minutes. Mm. Uh, and it's a great performance as well, considering it's not a very long, you know, uh, not a lot of screen time. Yeah, she she manages to get a lot into very little time. I mean, the filmmakers managed to get a lot into yeah. very little s- screen time. Yeah, she she was told real life animal cruelty stories by Wes Craven to make her actually cry, because she's a big animal lover. Um, Drew Barrymore and Nev Campbell actually never met Roger Jackson, who does the phone voice. So whenever you see their... Rea- and they'd actually be filmed on the phone, so whenever you see their reactions, it was their real reactions to that voice. Mm. Um, and it's an ongoing thing within the franchise. They like to keep the reactions of the cast very real to many things. Uh, it was released five days before Christmas and flopped on its opening weekend, and as I mentioned, made money through word of mouth. But the reason it was released five days before Christmas is because Wes Craven wanted something for horror fans around Christmas time because it was always 
family films or blockbusters or stuff that's guaranteed to make money. Yeah. So Wes wanted something a little different. Uh, Courtney Cox bugged the production company to give her the role because she was obviously playing... Um, fuck, who did she Monica. play? Monica and Friends. And she was sick of playing a nice girl. So uh, she wanted to play a bit of a bitch. And uh, she bugged the production company and she got the role. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, it, it was actually originally titled Scary Movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm just to elaborate on... Uh, well, I'm assuming movie. that's what they took. It's the yeah. makers of Scary Movie took that from. Uh, I'm not sure if that would have worked. No. Just Scary Movie. I think that's maybe a little too knowing. A little too... Yeah. Um, meta. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those films and, and it's... I said it about um, Ready or Not as well, mm. that it's one of those films that manages to to be comical, as it, you know, wants to be comical, um, but also manages to be a scary horror film. Yeah. And a lot of the time, films struggle to mould the two together successfully. Scream is one of those mm-hmm. films that definitely did that. I think if, if you had called it Scary Movie it would have looked like a comedy from the outside. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. It's a really interesting. The special effects team used 50 gallons of blood for this film. That seems like a lot compared to what you see in the film. Okay, we... I always think gallons is a lot bigger than it actually is. Okay. Because we... I, I don't know how it is anywhere else, but we weren't taught about gallons at school, were we? We no. weren't taught in gallons... Um, so I always think, I always thought a gallon was like massive. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, so one gallon mm-hmm. is best part of four litres. Oh, okay. Well, well, that's, no, that's still a fair bit. How many gallons? 50. Well, 50. hmm Yeah, it's still a fair bit. It doesn't look much on, on... No, screen. but the violence, though, um, actually got the film in NC-17 by the MPAA. Um, it was sent to them for reconsideration over nine times by Wes, and uh, the Weinsteins, boo, uh, told them to look at the film as a comedy, and that changed it, and they gave them an R. Yeah. Which is what happened with um, the Lords of Chaos, uh, the film about the black metal band, they uh, they submitted it as a drama and a real life story, and they had to resubmit it as a horror film in order to not get an NC seventeen. Yeah, I I do find so it's it's strange that they'll let this stuff go ahead depending on how you look at it. I think you, if you look at Wes Craven films, you look at Scream, and then you look at something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, mm. which literally has gallons and gallons and gallons in one scene itself yeah. you know gushing out mm-hmm. of the bed um I, I do think maybe because it's not a fantasy like like Nightmare on Elm Street is yeah, really yeah, a yeah. fantasy film um within dreams uh where a scream is very feels very real, very real at times yeah. that that beginning scene feels very real it is yeah. very you know comedic in places mm-hmm. you know the the repartee that she has with the caller can be quite funny um and that that's why it was so easy to send up afterwards because mm. everyone fucking sent up that scene 
um, in media, but it was also felt very real and quite sad. Yeah, so yeah. Sometimes it's not necessarily about what's on the screen, but about what's being conveyed. Yeah, um, I, I mean, that brings me on to my next fact. It was actually blamed for copycat killers. Um, and there's actually a, a very disturbing clip of this on YouTube, but it's these two guys in America who had, had watched Scream uh, or uh, obsessed of it, and they uh, went to kill their classmate. And I didn't know this until recently reading it, but they actually wore Ghostface costumes. Oh, God. And obviously that brought media down on... Uh, on on Wes Craven and the film's reputation and such. Um, I mean, it's it's still a beloved classic, but then you get complications like that. And uh, but then again, you know, it, it could be blamed on any film. Look at fucking Child's Play three. That was blamed for a killer. Well, but that's it, it, people like that will find anything. Yeah. Um, to to copycat, mm. you know, or as inspiration. If it's not Scream, then you know. They would have watched. I know what he did last summer, yeah, and yeah. went around in a Big Mac and with a hook. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's not. It's not the film. I I generally don't think because we watch some, you know, nasty films. Mm. Really, there's a good chance every single serial killer that's ever lived, lived has, ever, has watched a horror film. Yeah, that, yeah, but that's not saying that's why they did it. Yeah. No. No. Um. But uh, moving on from that, Molly Ringwald was offered the role of Sydney, but she didn't want to play a high schooler at 27, which is ironic because <laughs> most of the cast in this look like they're in their early 30s. <laughs> it's a little harsh, but no, I understand. I mean, David Arquette, he's meant to be 25. Uh, yeah. I don't know, he looks much older than that. David no, Arquette was also meant to be uh, a hunk originally. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't work out so well. I couldn't imagine Molly Ringwald in it, in this. No, no, but if uh, anyone ever wants to make a rip-off and have her starring in it, that would be amazing. Um, She's in a film called Office Killer. That might oh. be interesting. Well, Wes Craven actually originally turned this down because uh, he thought it was too violent and uh, he was developing a remake of The Haunting, which obviously went on to uh, go... Elsewhere, we've done a podcast on the remake of The Haunting, so if you'd like <laughs> to know our opinions on that, uh, check it out. Um, fan theories say that Billy and Stu were gay. No. But then um, other theories say that kind of, uh, you know, maybe not because would Kevin Williamson, a gay man, want to write a film in which, yeah, again, the... Uh, the LGBT community are presented as psychopaths. Yeah, no, no, I don't get that one. I think that's someone's fan fiction gone <laughs> wild. Um, Somebody wants them to be. But it is a very gay film. Like this whole franchise is intended. I I'd say it's intended for a gay audience. And like Jennifer's body and women. There are levels of camp, and that I I think run throughout. The, yeah. The, um, series. And it gets more as it goes on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for a female... I mean, horror has a big female following yeah. in general. I mean, you can find, you know, great female representation in these films. And that's, and that's why I think it was headed more towards that way, because 
it, they take extra care with the female representation in the screen franchise, I think, yeah. than you yeah. would in the franchise. I mean, you don't see anything gratuitous. No, um, no. You know, yeah, some, some women... Are, it, it comments, state of undress, it comments but on, not, on yeah. how the horror industry treats women. Yeah, yeah. Um... But the, uh, yeah, body count was seven in this film. Dewey was originally supposed to die, but Tess audience were not having it because he was one of their favourite characters. So, I am going to read the synopsis of this film um, as briefly as possible, and we will comment on it as we go along and after. Um, we start off with a title card, the only film in the franchise where we get a title card before uh, the opening sequence. Uh, we're introduced to Casey. Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore, and uh, she gets a phone call, and she's making some popcorn, and the killer asks her what her favourite scary movie is, she says Halloween, uh, speaks about Nightmare on Elm Street, gives you the meta humour off the bat. Um, Casey, it, things go a little south, shall we say, with the phone call, he tells her he's going to get her like a fish, and uh, eventually... She sees her boyfriend's out on the patio. She has to answer a question for him to be saved. She gets it wrong. Uh, the question is, who's the killer on Friday the 13th? She says Jason, of course, because that's what everyone thinks straight away, but it's not. It's obviously Pamela Voorhees. Uh, so her boyfriend gets killed. It's even spoilers for other films. I know, yeah. Her boyfriend gets killed. She gets attacked by the killer in a ghost face costume. And uh, her parents come home. They can't find her there. The kitchen's on fire from the popcorn. Uh, the mum's told to drive down to the Mackenzie's, a line from Halloween, and uh, she finds Drew Barrymore hung from a tree. And that's the opening sequence. So we're then introduced to Sydney and Billy, um, a couple in high school, they're in her bedroom, um, clearly some problems going on with intimacy with them. The next day, we go to Whisperer High School and we get Courtney Cox in one of her many many amazing outfits this is a highlight in literally (laughs) oh my god it's a luminous green she's absolutely serving and she is just amazing she's the highlight of the whole franchise she's reporting um what's going on with uh drew barrymore and uh, we get introduced to tatum who is uh sydney's friend they speak about the murders uh sydney gets questioned by the police and so on and we get some exposition about Sydney's mum, Maureen Prescott, who was murdered and raped a year ago. Uh, after this, she Sydney gets a call, and uh, it's Ghostface. Of course, she thinks it's Randy. Uh, she lists off some. It's Randy. <laughs> well, a friend, Randy. She lists off some horror tropes and uh, explains why she doesn't watch horror films, and then. Uh, in a very clever scene, she lives out those horror tropes shortly after when she's attacked by Ghostface. And uh, after this, she uh, she's at the police station. And uh, when she's leaving there, Gail questions her uh, about what's gone on. And uh, Sydney asks her, how's the book? And she says, I'll send you a copy. And what happens then? She gets punched in the face. Bam! Yes. Bitch went down. <laughs> Because Gayla, yeah, right hook. Yeah, which is described in the next scene as Bam, Sid, super bitch. <laughs> and that's what this whole franchise is, is Sydney being a super bitch, like, throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. She gets a call there, so she knows it wasn't... Because she 
Previously, when she was at her house, Billy arrives and drops a phone out of his pocket because we're in the 90s and people don't just carry phones around with them in those days. It would be suspicious to carry a mobile phone. So she, she gets him locked up, but she still gets a call at Tatum's house so she knows it's not him. Or so she thinks. Uh, after this, people are going crazy at the uh, at the school and wearing fucking ghost face masks, running around like idiots. So Fonzie, who is the uh, head teacher at the uh, at the school, the guy who plays Fonzie in Happy Days. Henry Winkler. Uh, he's not happy about it. And we get a bit of uh, red herring with him. He's got a pair of scissors and he's all angry. Uh, there's some Cotton Weary exposition. Now, he's a character who will come into the franchise a little later on. Uh, he's believed to have killed Maureen Prescott. So we made to think throughout most of this film. Uh, Sydney's attacked in the school. Uh, Gail flirts with Dewey. And the school closes. And Fonzie is murdered. After seeing uh, a janitor dressed like Freddy Krueger. Played by... Is that Wes Craven? It is Wes Craven, yeah. So... There's a scene in the video store where Randy is talking to Stu and Billy. Um, obviously, kids from the high school, Billy's being Sid's boyfriend and all. And uh, he explains everyone's a suspect and he goes through the rules of horror films and such. And uh, then they have a party at Stu's house, which goes on for a very long time throughout the rest of the film. Gail arrives and acts like an absolute celebrity. She just goes around, like, shaking everyone's hand, like... Uh, Introducing herself, it's amazing. Uh, she hides a camera and uh, leaves with Dewey. Tatum goes to the basement to uh, or the garage. Is it garage she goes to? Uh, yeah, garage. Yeah. garage yeah. So she goes there to get some more beers. She comes face to face with Ghostface. And, yeah, uh, I spit on your garage. I spit on your garage, yeah. And uh, she mocks him, tries to run away. And uh, gets caught in the cat flap she's trying to escape through. And gets her head squished. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. It's just below the boobs, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... So that's another one gone. And uh, after this, Billy and Sydney go to talk and uh, get on in the bedroom. Whilst everyone's watching Halloween. And it's really carefully edited... Um, through Randy reading out the rules of horror films and uh, him saying here's the big uh, the big brass shot and Sydney taking off a top and everything and it, then it completely goes against the rules of horror films uh, Sydney's had sex now but she's going to survive she's the final girl which is not known in horror films at this point and uh, so after this it, this is when Dewey and uh, Gail go to investigate a car in the bushes that's been found and uh, they have a kiss so there's uh, something going on between them now they find Sydney's dad's car I think he's a suspect uh, Billy is stabbed by Ghostface Sydney runs away Thingy uh, Bobby forget his name for a second Randy is uh, approached by Ghostface but not killed by him he manages to get away uh, Gail's cameraman gets his throat slit. Sydney gets stabbed. Gail drives a van into a tree. Another highlight. Uh, Dewey is stabbed in the back. And it's all revealed that, that Billy and Stu are the killers. And Randy gets shot. So they explain the motives. Uh, Sid's mum slept with Billy's dad. Is that... I'm, I am. Got it yeah, right yeah, yeah, Billy's dad. 
they, you know, they say, uh, uh, well, would it be great to have no motives? No, but that, that's the obvious motive. It's the reason why Billy's mum left. Yeah, uh, which comes important in the second film. So, uh, after this, they uh, have a bit of a fight. Gail puts a gun to them, but she gets attacked by them. And uh, in the end, Stu gets a TV on his head. And uh, Billy gets shot. And that's pretty much Scream. Yeah. Yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> so, what have you got to say about the first film? So, I... It's difficult to find stuff that hasn't already been said. I mean, it's... Really, and it's a phrase that people love to use. I'm, I'm not, maybe not 100% sure what it means. But a cultural reset for horror films. Yes. Yeah. It's, like you said, there's the before Scream and the after Scream. Yeah. Horror films. Yeah, it's a milestone. It is. It is. And it's just, for me, it's five-star entertainment. It's impeccable in so many ways. Wonderfully acted by quite a young cast. Mm -hmm. Unknown. Apart, you know, Drew Barrymore. Courtney, Courtney Cox wasn't known for, you know, horror films or... You know, she was from Monica from Friends, um, but expertly acted, expertly yeah. directed, so clever, so well written, so witty, really just, it was the, the cool film that I had to watch, at, you know, eight years old, mm. you know, in school, eight, nine years old, and everyone was talking about it because it was, you'd never seen anything like that before. And I think it had an influence on horror films, but oh, then yeah. also teen films, the teen yeah. films that came well, you look after at, that. Yeah, that I mean, you look at American knowing. American Pie, it's scream about horror. It's, the, the you know, the way they carry their storylines on and everything. And then, you know, you, you've got other films as well, like, um, I mean, wasn't 10 Things I Hate About You after Scream? Yeah. It's, it's all, all these... You know, films that are not horror, but they've got that same tone as Scream. That same teen drama, comedy tone. Yeah. yeah. And then, once you get into the horror genre, it really did spawn so many copycats. You've got, I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend, Cherry Falls. Um, disturbing Behaviour. Disturbing Behaviour. You know, Blair Witch 2. Yeah. Was, uh, you know, Halloween H2O. Bride of Chucky. Yeah. You, you know, it, it influenced everything from original films to franchises. Everything wanted to be Scream. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, yeah, it did really well. Yeah. It, it won, I think it won at the MTV Movie Awards, which is kind of, you know, it's not Academy Awards or anything, but they're the films that people are going to see. A young yeah. audience. It's, it's an MTV generation film. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's like, the it's got a killer soundtrack as well. Yeah. I really love the soundtrack. Yeah. And it's well made. It's so well made. Like, the scene where Ghostface is coming up behind Randy and, you know, it's... The, Gail's cameraman's watching it from the van and there's the 30 second delay. It adds so much suspense to that scene and, like, you know, the way he's shouting at the screen to Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, Jamie, you know, he's behind you, but... Obviously, Randy is played by Jamie Kennedy, so it's another inside joke. It's just that's also funny. Yeah, yeah it's you funny. Know, it's, it's so much throughout. It's scary, but also funny, which is exactly what they plan to do. Yeah. So yeah, expertly crafted. Um, I 
we I think we've discussed this before. Wes Craven can be really hit or miss. Yeah. But when it's a hit, fucking hell, is it a hit? Yeah. You know, when he is on top form, mm. his films are incredible. Yeah. And th- this is one of them. This is this is up there with a nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Absolutely. Um. But yeah, I mean. It's like you said, there's so much been said about Scream, it's hard to say anything new, but it's just, it is at the height of, of 90s horror. I think it, it is... It is 90s horror. Yeah. The 90s horror before, yeah, you you had some standout films, like Candyman. Mm. Um, Nightbreed. N- yeah. New but, Nightmare. Um, yeah, but not ones that were uh, yeah. It, it was touching. It, it was touch and go. I mean, you, you had these great films that are released, but they're only every so often. Yeah. But then, as soon as this happened, you were flooded with them. They were yeah, in the in the eighties. You had yeah. numerous horror films that were milestones. Yeah. You know, you started it with Friday the Thirteenth. Mm. You know, and then again, I hate to keep mentioning it, but Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, it, it went from Psycho to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. To Jaws. Yeah. To Halloween. Uh-huh. To Friday the 13th. Of course, Night of the Living Dead as well in the 60s. Yeah, uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Dawn of the Dead in the 70s. Yeah. I, you know, all these films, they, they are all milestones. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, in, in the 80s, you had multiple milestones. I mean... Arguably, Evil Dead and Hellraiser were milestones, yeah. but up until Scream, but the, the, in the, the yeah, 90s, it, it died off. It, yeah, it died off. I, I'd say Hellraiser was probably the last big horror milestone before this. Yeah, and then it maybe was Candy Candyman. Candyman, maybe Candyman. I we'd say Candyman, but, but I don't think I think a lot of other you know the rest of the internet probably wouldn't. But really, culturally, Candyman is way up there yeah you know it, it did some things that get out did years before get out it was an african-american horror film you know predominantly it was set in an urban setting it, it was something different so different so was tales from the hood which we haven't seen um that is one thing about scream um they they are all very white they're the white teens um they're they're all they all seem quite middle class. Which I think is important. I think that's very important because that's what they're trying to comment on. They're saying, this is what you come to expect. They're saying, we're all like characters in horror films. Yeah. Well, of course they are because throughout the 80s, that's all it was. Yeah. You know? So I think... Yeah. I think... They, it, they all... In massive houses. Mm. I, do, I, I don't understand how um, Sydney's dad as a single parent can afford such a <laughs> massive house. Yeah. But uh, moving throughout the series, they're all in massive houses. Oh yeah. <laughs> We're moving on to nineteen ninety seven. We had Scream Two, which was so it was released quite quickly. Afterwards. It was released very quickly. Um, it was released on the twenty. It was made on a twenty four million dollar budget. Again, it was a success, but because of uh, when it was released, it was alongside the first one was being the highest highest grossing film of nineteen ninety seven. So they both were. Oh, okay. Because um, obviously, you know, Christmas, it, it was on the cinema for a lot longer than uh, yeah. Christmas. And uh, t- t- to the point that Tomorrow Never Dies and Titanic both rescheduled their release date so they didn't clash. Oh, wow. With this, because they knew they'd be in trouble if they did. Because this is going to make Titanic a lot of money. Titanic went on to yeah. the highest grossing film. Um, but if they had released it since on a Scream 2. Might have struggled. Yeah. Uh, the cast were not informed of the killer's identity until the last day of principal photography. 
which is uh, a very clever idea because again, you know, it just adds the element of surprise. Yeah, and it also, and I've seen it done in other films before, where actors, some of them act like suspicious. Yeah. Even, even though they, they, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. need to, but us as an audience, yeah. we're like, oh, you know, that acting choice is fairly mm. suspicious. Yeah, and it could Which be anybody. And, and the twists in these films are always great. I, I've never once watched one of these films and predicted who the killer was, because it's like Randy says in the first film, everyone's a suspect. Mm-hmm. It could be anybody because they set up so many red herrings and, and then it, by the time it comes around to it, you forget who it is. You forget who that person could have been involved, especially in this one. Um, the actors who auditioned for Derek were asked to perform the I Think I Love You scene from the canteen. Oh, God. Uh, Robert Rodriguez directed Stab, uh, which is the film within the film and includes scenes starring Heather Graham and Luke Wilson and Tori Spelling. And Tori Spelling. Um... I mean, Robert Rodriguez, That's uh, that was that at a time when he would have been a big name? Fairly big. It would have been after... Um, El Dorado, was it? Uh, yeah. Was it? He did do... I think he did. He was, there was a trilogy of them, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not called El Dorado, though, I don't think. It's a name similar to that. And it led on to Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Yeah, or yeah. Like that. I don't For, know. Forgive me, the Antonio Banderas film. Ah, shit, it would have been after From Dust to Dawn, wouldn't it? I or around the same time. Around the same time. Yeah. Um, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, um, critics who we've discussed on the podcast before, actually loved this film. They slammed the original, but they loved this one. And they slammed the other two sequels. Yeah, this... I feel like this one pushes more towards comedy. Yeah. This is... For me, this is the campest. Mm. Well, three is camp, but... Um, there's, I think Screen Free might be the campest film I've ever seen in my life. Screen Free is camp, <laughs> but not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. I find this one quite camp in a good way. Yeah. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, I, get, I get that. Um, the script was one of the very first films to ever be leaked on the internet. Mm. Um, which caused loads of, uh, of rewrites and stuff. Um and then obviously no one being told the twist until the last day. Yeah, people are twats, aren't they? Why, they why are. do I have to ruin And it was an extra. It was an extra on set who did it. Fucking hell. Um, the plot twist was inspired by Friday the 13th. Obviously, a mother getting revenge for her son. Um, Wes Craven purposely sent a more violent version of the film to the MPAA because he knew what he wanted to cut out anyway, and it was the more violent scenes. So okay. he finally he got his final cut without much persuasion. Mm. Um, the body counts 10 in this film, so higher than the first film. Which is a point made by uh-huh. uh, Randy. Both this... Oh, I've already told you it's the highest grossing film of 1997. Denise Richards was offered a role in the film, but she turned it down to make Starship Troopers. That's, that's a fairly good career choice, hmm. to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the score was taken from Broken Arrow. Who? The film, Broken Arrow. Oh. Yeah. What film's that? With John Travolta. Is that a John Woo film? I'm not sure, but it's an action film from the 90s. Okay. Very generic. Okay. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and Alicia Silverstone were considered for the role of CC, but I'm very glad it went to Sarah Michelle Gellar, because I can't imagine that role. Yes. I swear. Yeah. yeah. So, would you like to give us a synopsis of this one, please? Yeah, I can give you a nice quick overview. So, we begin Scream 2 with two Windsor College students. Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens going to see the prem. Uh, well, it's a sneak preview of Stab, 
the film based on the Woodsboro Murders, a book by Gail Weathers depicting the events of the first film. During the screening, Phil is killed in the restroom and Maureen killed in the screening itself with other patrons thinking it's all a gimmick. That was a fantastic scene. Oh, yeah. It? Yeah, it is. Such a great scene. Um, obviously, the original, that opening scene is, is iconic, but this one, I, I think's not far behind. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the image in uh, Maureen... Evans is played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, she's fantastic. Who very similarly to Drew Barrymore was yeah. on the posters. Yeah, she she was slowly becoming a big name by this by this point. Yeah, yeah, she's been in a, a few films. Mm, she was um, in Tales from the Crypt, I believe the film. Yeah, but I think she was she was in. Um, oh, anyway, but yeah, mm. yeah, fantastic scene of her in front of the screen. Screaming, yeah, and everyone's masks in the background. Yeah, whilst everyone in the uh, cinema's going crazy, thinking it's all a big mm. gimmick. That would have drove you insane. Oh yeah, yeah. All that talking, obnoxious screaming. screaming. And then we get our title title card. Screen we get a, a William Castle uh, nod. Yeah, Stabber Vision. So Stabber Vision is literally just glow in the dark. Glow in the dark knives, knives and, and you get to see Ghostface flying across the. Uh, yeah, the that that was yeah that was a nice little nod yeah. to William Castle. Um, so Sydney is also a student at Windsor College, and the news of Phil and Maureen's murder has spread. We're introduced to an array of characters, so it's all hustle and bustle at the college. And we we see a, a returning Gail Weathers, who's there to investigate the new murders, seemingly for a new Amazing book. Amazing hair. Amazing hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Red she's streaks. Cut, she's cut it into a, a bob with red streaks. So that's, that's, that's a good hair style mm-hmm. for her. Uh, a returning Dewey, who's there to support Sydney. Uh, he's sporting a limp now, isn't he? Because he, he was stabbed in the back. Um, he had nerve damage. Uh, a returning Randy, who's also a student at Windsor College. And then we've got Debbie Salt, who's a, a bit of an obnoxious reporter. I mean, she bugs Gail Weathers, mm-hmm. but Gail Weathers is a bit mean to her. Uh, she's a big fan of Gail's, always asking her questions and such, and uh, trying to lick her ass. Also always serving outfits. She is. Oh, that pantsuit at the end mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, Hallie, who's Sydney's roommate and best friend. Derek, who's Sydney's boyfriend, played by Jerry O'Connell. Jai Jerry O'Connell. Played by <laughs> Jerry O'Connell. Star of Stand By Me. Yeah, yeah. So, Piranha 3D. Well, he was the chubby one in Stand By Me, wasn't he? Was, yeah. So when I was younger, I was like, I'd seen Stand By Me and, and Scream 2, and I was like, they're all the same guy. Mm. He's one of those people who's just really likeable. He is. I, I find him really likeable. Ex- even in Piranha 3D, when he was that porn director. Yeah, but I find him <laughs> as a person very likeable. I always get him mixed up with <clears throat> um, Leave Scruber. Yeah. Which was a problem for me. With, <laughs> with this film, because they're, they're both, both in, in it. They're both in the <laughs> And film. Joshua Jackson's fan, even he's in it. He is. He's barely in it. <laughs> then we get Mickey, Derek's best friend. Cotton Weary. Uh, he's got a much bigger role in this film. Yeah. So he was the accused from the first film. Sydney had pointed him out as Maureen's killer. Um, so he's out to seek exoneration and a bit of fame too. Yeah, because I forgot to mention as well, in the first film we find out that Billy and Stu killed Maureen Prescott. Yes, yeah. So they had and set up Cotton Weary. And the, obviously there's some tension between Cotton and Sydney now because Sydney had pinpointed Cotton mm-hmm. as the killer. Um, so we're introduced to, to these characters and, and, and whatnot, and 
going about their business yeah. and everything. So we go to a party scene and everyone's at the party apart from Cece, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm-hmm. She's the sober sister. Um, she's at the sorority house alone. Um, she's murdered, essentially, and thrown off the balcony. Uh, it's quite a good scene, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good it's it's a good uh, murder. However <laughs> weird that sounds. Uh, after that, Sydney's left alone because everyone's gone to investigate um, Cece's murder. She's left alone at the party and she's attacked herself. Um, then we get just a load of intense investigations from everyone, yeah. isn't it? Um, Randy is investigating a phone call and he's lured to a van and murdered, which was quite shocking, really. Yeah, very. I mean, that, that's the scene I remember from when I watched it randomly um, at New Year's. And, uh, yeah, it's quite shocking when, mm. when you see the first film. Um, so Sydney flees the college with Hallie and two bodyguards. Ghostface causes a crash and kills the two bodyguards. And Hallie is killed as her and Sydney try to escape. Now, the bodyguards, are, that is a good death scene. That is, actually... That is it, like the the practical effects and everything that 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 one really ups the ante. Yeah, yeah, because the the, the um, apart from Casey's in the first film, they're not particularly gory. No. Um, whereas this guy has a pole through the head. Yeah. Um, so Sydney returns to the college where Gail and Dewey have been investigating. Dewey has been now attacked by Ghostface, and Gail has escaped. That's a pretty good scene, isn't mm, it? They're, yeah. they're in um, uh, a booth. And so Gail's on one side, Dewey's on the other. And they can see, but they can't hear each other. Mm-hmm. Or, or Dewey couldn't see Gail, but Gail could see Dewey. And then Dewey's attacked. Um, Sydney finds Derek in the theatre. He's tied up by his fraternity brothers for giving Sydney his letters. Uh, Ghostface appears and reveals himself to be Mickey. Mm-hmm. Crazy Mickey who plans on blaming violent media for his actions. Yeah. Um, he shoots Derek and then reveals his accomplice, who is Debbie Salt. Absolute evil bitch. <laughs> Slay queen, all the same. Debbie Salt in a killer white pantsuit. Her, her eyes nearly popping out of her head. Yeah, played by Laurie Metcalf, um, who was famous at the time for Roseanne, a sitcom. So I, I don't know why she took this role I'm just glad she's great in it she's fantastic Uh, she was recently nominated for an Oscar for Lady Bird Mm. and uh, yeah so Debbie Salt who is then revealed to be Bully Loomis's long lost mother Mm -hmm. out for revenge so yeah very uh, yeah it's very clever the way to reveal it as well because there's no scenes before that with Sydney and her in the same place So, so she's had the idea is that she's lost weight and had some work done but Sydney still recognises her, yeah. whereas Gail Weathers has never actually met her. Well, even Gail says, I I, rec- I thought I recognised you from somewhere when she first meets her, and yeah. she had seen pictures of Billy's mum. Yeah. But seemingly the, the plastic surgery and, and that's changed her enough. Um, question. Pamela Vorey's sweater mm. or Debbie Salt's pantsuit? It's not even a question, is it? Let's face it. <laughs> Of course, it's Debbie Salt's suit. What about the, the jumper? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I'm going to keep calling her Debbie because I can't remember her actual name. This is Loomis. <laughs> um, so Debbie kills Mickey. Um, she's basically used Mickey to, to help her mm-hmm. kill and doesn't need him anymore and whatever. Doesn't think that his defence would hold up anyway. And a fight ensues between um, Debbie and Sydney. Yeah. So this is very theatrical. Very, there's quite a few nods to Nosferatu, mm-hmm. isn't there? Yeah. And, yeah, it's all right. I, I think I, this, this delves into camp. I think the end. Yeah, I, I think the ending is very. I loved camp. every second of it. <laughs> yeah. So a fight ensues. Gail ends up being shot. Um, Sydney's in a compromising position when Cotton appears mm-hmm. with a gun. Uh, there's a. There's moments where we think, which ones are going to shoot? Which ones are going to shoot? Yeah. He shoots Debbie. And then we end with Gail and Dewey surviving, Cotton getting the hero's attention that he always wanted, mm-hmm. and Sydney walking alone from the college. Yeah. To a late nineties, in like, acoustic band soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think Scream Two is the closest you'll get to being as good as the first film. Yeah. This is the like, best sequel. I. Absolutely love this film. I I genuinely I, I gave both this and the first film five stars because it's just it does everything the first film did, but for sequels. And when you are doing commentary on the horror franch on, on the horror genre, you have to you can't just do it with a first film. You have to do it with a sequel because a big part of the horror genre is every film gets a sequel. Yeah, who who was it that said that sequels had killed the horror genre? It was, it, there's a scene where they're in a, 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 a it, it's like a film, film lecture, yeah. film studies, and the discussion is about sequels. Yeah. And I, forgive me, I can't remember who it was that said it, but it was essentially, you know, sequels have killed the horror genre. Mm-hmm. And before Scream, well, that was true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just everything about it. It's the high camp of it all. It, it turns into a soap drama. Uh, in parts, you know, the whole uh, Gale and Dewey thing. It, uh, yeah, I just love this film Yeah, so and Sydney much. kicks ass in this She film. does. She, she does. does in the first one. And even Gale tries to, and it, it just comes as so over camp. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. And Debbie, stop, don't even get me started. It's just, that is a perfect female villain, because she is so fucking crazy. It's hilarious to watch, but at the same time, she's a believable psychopath. Yeah, the outfits are much better. It's yeah. Well. I mean, Sydney dresses much better. They really, they they do go for high fashion in these films. It's it's, <laughs> and it really adds to it. It's just it's what makes it so unique and different from everything else. Even everything that's tried to imitate it, you know, it, this is everything in this film and the first film sets it aside so much. It's hard to catch that exact atmosphere that this film and the first film creates. Mm-hmm. Even for the sequels. I mean, I, I love Scream 4. You know, I enjoy Scream 3. But it's just something about this one that it just feels like a continuation of the first film. Yeah. Yeah. But on a higher level. I mean, you get a fucking musical sequence in a canteen. You know. Well, How much more high count can you get? <laughs> Well, and the fact that Jerry O'Connell is in his underwear. Oh, I know. Yeah, a, a yeah. Good portion you could tell this was sequence. written by a gay man who really wanted to cast Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. 
and you know it's a little more diverse mm. oh yeah uh, the, yeah the cast is is a little more diverse and the, the characters are you know even more likable yeah um yeah th- than some of the films yeah um they make you care about it and let's think that's yeah. why randy's death is so shocking because this is someone from the first film that you've come to care about but then even hallie you know yeah. i really liked hallie yeah 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 um, and her death. It, and that's the thing. It, it, it might be more camp, but it, and it might be more of a soap drama. But at the same time, it doesn't take away any of the horror. It ups the horror as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So for me, it's it's just a, it's a perfect sequel. Yeah, it's a really really solid sequel. So on to <laughs> the year two thousand, uh, with Scream Three, made on a budget of forty million dollars. Uh, again, another success. Um, wow. This is a messy one. This wasn't written by Kevin Williamson. He wrote an outline for it. Uh, it got ignored by a guy called Aaron Kruger, who wrote Transformers. And uh, West did a lot of reworks because he wasn't happy with where this Kruger guy was taking it. Um, because he, he was, you know, he said it didn't feel like his characters anymore. Mm. Even with the rewrites. It doesn't feel like a screen film. No. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Nev Campbell had to wear a wig because she was filming Drowning Mona at the time. And her character in that film had long streaked hair. So she had to wear a wig for this one. Uh, Wes Craven filmed three different endings. And they didn't tell the cast which one was going to be used. So when they watched it at the premiere, that was the first ah, that they okay. had seen of it. A very drag race. Of it. I know, yeah. Um, Patrick Dempsey was hired a day before shooting. Uh, Carrie Fisher is in this film, and uh, she helped rewrite her lines. Yeah, well, she was a writer, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> she's not in the film that much. No. How bad were the lines to begin with? No, but I mean, her final lines are amazing. Yeah, and that was some of the best things about this film. <laughs> uh, Nev Campbell's contract allowed her to only be on set for just twenty days. So she gets a lot less screen time in this one as she does in the first two. Yeah. And it's and even the fourth. It's very clear and also the film suffers for it, but we'll get on to that. Yeah. The house during the climax of the film was the school in Halloween H2O. Jamie Lee Curtis has offered the role of, Bi- of Bianca Burnett, who is Carrie Fisher's character, but she turned it down, which is a shame because imagine Jamie Lee Curtis in that role. That'd be amazing. Would they have done the same thing? Well, I, I'd hope so. Yeah. But it would have been John Carpenter yeah. instead of George Lucas. Um, the complaints that you hear the cast and crew mention throughout about Stab Free were actual complaints from the cast and crew about Scream Free. I'm assuming that was Wes Craven's yeah. <laughs> rewrite. Uh, Matthew Lillard was originally the uh, the killer of this film, uh, which is interesting because he's in talks to come back for Scream 5. So apparently a TV to the head can't kill you. <laughs> um, so somewhere in this franchise he's still alive um, but because of the way they were doing his plot um, he would have been in prison getting high schoolers to do murders and, and stuff they scrapped it because of Columbine Yeah. and that also led to the violence in this film being toned down a lot um, another twist would have been stab super fans as killers but again it, it would have been problematic for the time it was being released See, for me, that, that sounds a bit like farce. Yeah. It, it turns, you, you know, rather than meta, it turns into mocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Kate Hudson was originally cast in, a, in an unknown role. Tori Spelling was going to play herself in this film. Uh, Kevin uh, said about the writing. Wes Craven faced more MPAA issues to the point it made him consider quitting horror. Because obviously the MPAA were really cutting down. Because this is around the same time as Cherry Falls would have been submitted um, mm. for consideration by them. And obviously that that suffered greatly for how violent it was, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. But there's hardly any gore in, this, in Scream 3 at all. Yeah, it, of, of all the, the films, the kills are maybe a little... And it's still 18 in the UK. Yeah. yeah. Um, Steve Austin was going to be playing the bodyguard originally. Oh, I love that. Would have made sense. Yeah. Greg Sestero from The Room auditioned for a role in the film. Of course he did. Uh, the original opening had Sydney killing a fan who was pranking her, like jumped out on her and she thought it was actually someone this guy's face. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, we get the same body count as the last film, 10, and Randy was originally supposed to have survived after Scream 2 and returned in this. Oh. They were going to say his family have kept him on the down low so he doesn't get killed, attempted uh, uh, his life by anyone else. Ah. My um, f- fact for this film is that Wes Craven only actually did it so he could do so he could do music of the heart <laughs> so Wes Craven yeah. was trying to get away from horror he'd always wanted to do one non-horror film so he only agreed to do Scream 3 if he could do music of the heart with Meryl Streep which is what he did with uh, The Hills of Eyes 2 and Nightmare on Elm Street and that film has uh, dog flashbacks oh, so God, yeah. um, Scream 3 starts with Cotton Weary um, telling someone on the phone that he doesn't want to do a cameo in a cheap slasher film and Ooh. here he is <laughs> uh, he gets a call from Ghostface who now has a voice changer and can sound like whoever they want to sound like <laughs> fucking ridiculous yeah this is the biggest problem with the film um, so he wants to know where Sydney is and he threatens to kill Cotton's girlfriend if he doesn't tell him ends up killing Cotton's girlfriend uh, revealing his voice changer and killing Cotton I love that opening sequence. I, I do think, even though the voice change is fucking dumb, I remember the first time I watched it and I was so on edge throughout that opening five minutes. Yeah. And then, obviously, that's the only time in the film where it was suspenseful. The, the tone for the rest <laughs> of the film goes to shit. But we get a title card. Um, Sydney's living in the middle of nowhere now. She's a woman's crisis counsellor, which makes sense. I think that's a good way for a plot to go. Uh, Courtney Cox is back as Gail with bangs, which we will get onto shortly. Um, Detective Kincaid <laughs> visits Gail with a picture of Maureen Prescott, which was left at the scene of Cotton's murder. Um, we're showing the Stab Free set where we're introduced to Roman, who's the director of Stab Free. Lance Henriksen, who plays Milton, the producer. Uh, Jennifer, who's playing Gail. And uh, Gail turns up at the set wearing an amazing yellow suit and says, Deja Voodoo. This is probably the most quotable of all the films. Um... Budget Gail, who is Jennifer, has uh, the green suit on and they have a little bitch off together and it's fucking amazing. Uh, Dewey is a big shot now. He's wearing a fancy suit and he's even more camp in this film. He is actually. Um, He's trying to be all smooth and everything with Jennifer. Uh, Something's happened between their relationship between these films. You know, they're not together anymore. Gail wanted to leave Woodsboro. He didn't at first, but now he has. Um, yeah, which makes no sense. 
Yeah, they, they could have just carried... I love how they've all, there's always an issue between Gale and Dewey between each film. It'll be the same in Scream 5. Yeah. Um, but they'll end up back together, because it always happens. So, um, yeah, so everyone reads Gale to filth, basically, in her first scene with everybody else. Jay and Silent Bob get a cameo. Uh, Sydney has a dream of her mum in a white dress going to her window as a ghost. And uh, Sarah... Who was playing Cece essentially, um, or Candy? Tatum. Uh, yeah, and she calls candy. it Candy, but she is that blonde character from yeah. the first two. Um, she gets a ghost face call, and uh, she says on the phone, "She's the chick that gets killed second, Which, uh, yeah, she is. Yeah, um, she's killed in the style of the first kill in Phenomena. She's shot through a window. Uh, that's a really good kill. Um, yeah, probably the best one in the film because I mean, yeah. you know, we love phenomena and it's a good reference to it. Um, Gail and Dewey have coffee together. Uh, people they figure out people are getting killed off in the order that they would be in Stab Free. Uh, get uh, Sydney gets a ghost face call and uh, decides it's time to step up and do something about it. Gail wears red leather trousers. That is an important plot point. Um, the bodyguard for Jennifer is killed. Uh, and then uh, Dewey, the guy who plays Dewey in Stab Three, is killed by an explosion. Yeah, we get an explosion in this film. House blows yeah, up. Yeah, this is dumb. It's a really dumb scene. It is. It is. Um, there's no for any for any film in the screen franchise to have an explosion. So, but also the way it's set up. Yeah, it's trying to it. Whoever wrote it thought they were being clever. It, but it just didn't translate well no, to the no. screen. Dewey shoots Ghostface and falls down a hill. Gail punches Jennifer and uh, Jennifer says, my lawyer likes that. Uh, and, and the whole scene is just amazing. Um, if you could watch one scene from this film, watch that. Uh, Sydney reunites with Dewey and Gail. Uh, they meet up with Randy's sister, who has a tape of Randy explaining the new rules of uh, if, if they've survived to this point. Uh, and says that there'd be a new twist that wasn't apparent in the first film. They changed the rules around. Uh, Gail and Jennifer go to meet Carrie Fisher, um, and she's uh, at a desk smoking, and uh, says she isn't Carrie Fisher, but she was this close to being in Star Wars, but she didn't sleep with George Lucas. So uh, they figure out that (laughs) Maureen Prescott had a stage name and worked with uh, Milton. Then Sydney meets Angelina, who plays her in Stab Free. Ghostface attacks Sydney in a house set, appears in a body bag, nice little reference to Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Jennifer Dewey and Gail visit Milton and explains to him that they know what's happened and uh, they know that he knew Maureen Prescott. And uh, eventually they're asked to go to Milton's house and uh, everything will be explained there. When they get there, Roman disappears. Gail and Dewey find the voice changer and figure out what's been going on. Gail uh, finds Roman, who's been stabbed, checks his pulse. Uh, and apparently he's dead. He's, I mean, spoiler alert, he's not, but she checks his pulse and apparently he's dead. Yeah. Uh, Angelina fucked Milton, we find out, to get the role. Um, so... Gail and Jennifer uh, get called second-rate celebs by Angelina and uh, she gets killed Ghostface slashes Dewey's arm kills Tyson who was playing essentially the Randy character 
Uh, Jennifer gets killed as well. A knife gets thrown at Dewey's head. Ghostface calls Sydney, tells her to go to Milton's house to find out who killed her mum. So she goes to the house and uh, we find out that Roman is the killer. Uh, Kincaid arrives. He doesn't die. Roman's a killer. He's Sydney's brother. And his whole purpose was to, uh, I don't know, just kill Sydney because that's his sister and she got all the attention. No, it's because, so... He set Billy up to when, kill Maureen Prescott as well. Yeah, so when Maureen um, became Maureen, because mm-hmm. um, he tried to get in contact with her, and she said, no, um, I've got a new life now. And then, obviously, Sydney had the life that was taken away yeah. from him. But I don't know. This film... Stupid at points. Yeah. Um, Milton's killed. Um, Sydney just absolutely kicks ass again. She uh, she ends up killing Roman. He does come back to life though and Dewey shoots him in the head. And we get a happy ending with Dewey proposing to Gail. Yeah. I don't hate it. I know a lot of people do. I don't hate it. I enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. It's a screen film. It's high camp. Um, there are moments of so bad it's funny. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's so messy. Really, really, really messy. And confusing. You can times. tell it was wrote as it went along. Yeah. I mean, I, I ain't being funny. You've just read out the synopsis and I've watched it recently. And even in my head, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It, it's here, there and everywhere. It really is. It really is. I mean... The whole explosion scene and the whole... It, it, the soap drama stuff is played up to a really high level to the point it's over... It's honestly one of the most count films I've ever seen. But that is why I enjoy it. Yeah. It, it is just entertaining, um, despite how messy it is. Uh, the horror's really toned down um, in comparison to the first two and to the fourth film. Um, and it, it is just a straight-up comedy, for the most part. But let's talk about the elephant in the room, Gail's hair. Well, it uh, it's become quite famous, hasn't it? Yeah, it's On an internet, internet sensation, gone viral. Uh, I don't know why she thought they they filmed this straight after their honeymoon because after this, uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette were married in real life, and they filmed this straight after the honeymoon. Apparently, David Arquette told her it was a good idea. They didn't have the fringe. She didn't have the fringe in Friends, did she? I'm sure it would be all over the internet if she did. But, like, it, it was, it's like a really messy fringe. It's so uneven. Really uneven. And then just hair down. Yeah. It looks better when it's down. When she's got it up, it looks even worse. Like the films itself, there's a good chance if you listen to this podcast episode, you've already seen the hair. Yeah. Uh, if not, it will be posted on our Instagram this week. Um, but, you know, her and Jennifer are probably the two best things oh, in the film. Yeah, Parker Posey is fantastic. Oh, Parker Posey is, yeah, she's really, really good. She's got really good comic timing. She's constantly 110% all the way through. It's a weird film for her to be in, if, if I'm being honest. I didn't really... She was always known as, like, the indie queen. Mm. And she did these, you know, independent comedies or... 
uh, like romantic films. To see her in Scream 3 was, was really weird, but then the character that she's playing, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this is a great comedic actress. Yes, yeah. And it works really well. Um, for me, more of the film doesn't work than actually works. Yeah. It is the worst entry out of all of them. Out of all four, it is uh, the worst one. Um, I mean, the killer reveal... I'm not crazy about it. It's it, it was unpredictable because no one fucking why would why did anyone think of that? But the problem it's the first it's the only film in this series where there's only one killer. Yeah. And because there's only one killer, it it gives the killer a bad case of the teleports. Oh yeah, he really teleports. In Whereas this film. with the other films, you watch rewatch it knowing who the killers are, and you're like, oh okay, so so and so must have been the killer at this yeah. point. So and so was the killer at this point. Um, whereas with this one, and particularly, it after he's revealed, number one, he can stop his heartbeat, <laughs> some, and still survive. <laughs> who the fuck knows? Um, but he'll say Sydney will be at one end of the room um, and she's locked the door and he suddenly appears on the <laughs> other end of the room he's teleported into the room I mean somehow. Randy does say oh, on the video clip you get with Randy he does say that the killer will probably be su- uh, superhuman by this point yeah. so I don't know if that's an inside joke it might be but I, I don't know I, I preferred it when there were two killers and there was a mystery behind it now it was just this one guy who seemingly was pretty successful without knowing his mum because he's directing a big film yeah that's the the thing I don't know why for his mum for Maureen Prescott's murder yeah it makes the second film feel like the odd one out yeah because there's no link between that do you know what I mean? There's yeah, no link yeah, between the second true. film and the third film. Mm. There's a link between the first film and the second film because it was Billy and Billy's mum. Yeah. But when the third film is linking directly to the first film and changing mm-hmm. that, it the second film didn't necessarily need to happen. Yeah. It's just a bit like, oh, okay, so the whole story was leading up to Roman and this reveal, mm-hmm. that's the what the whole story was leading up to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he was going to do this big reveal and everything. So it was just sort of by chance that yeah. the second film happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh. um, the only reference to the second film that I know is um, she's still wearing Derek's letters. And Randy's death. Oh, and Randy's death, of course, yeah. Um, what do you think to the commentary on Hollywood in this film? It seems a little ahead of its time to me with the whole... <sighs> Director being called Roman, they mention about Hollywood employing criminals and they mention about, you know, sexual harassment. I think, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's before its time or I, I think there's a lot of films that reference this, mm. um, the whole idea of the casting couch. Um, it, it didn't sit particularly well with me. There's a point in the film where uh, Maureen's promiscuity... Um, was blamed on the sexual assault yeah. that she suffered when she was in Hollywood. Um, a, a bit like, mm, I, I don't know if, um, if that really correlates. No. Um, 
it, it felt awkward to me. It, it didn't it didn't sit well, uh, that comment. And um, I don't know. Uh, Just look at who produced it, though. Look at the executive producers. It's okay? it's, it's funny. The whole it's franchise, funny, but it, it's ironic. Yeah, that he would been the producer on this film. The whole franchise was produced by the Weinsteins. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, we don't need to explain what happened with Harvey Weinstein. Everybody fucking knows. But the fact that they've got commentary on this sort of thing happening in Hollywood, something that he, you know, has been arrested for, is insane. I mean, it, but he must it's have so on the nose. Yeah, it, it's so he, on the nose. He must have sat there and watched this film. He must have been sat there at the premiere mm. and been like, oh... This sounds like what I've yeah. been doing for the yeah. last God knows how fucking long. And and it, it I'm I'm pretty sure Harvey Weinstein wasn't the first. Um, no. And, and unfortunately probably isn't the last. Mm-hmm. Um but it just goes to show that these it was being overlooked and up yeah. until this hashtag Me Too movement, you know, Nothing was being done about it. No. So whoever wrote this film knew that stuff like that yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. But nothing was being done. Mm. And I think that's crazy. That is, you know, 20 years later after this mm-hmm. film was released. That, that to me, that sounds fucking insane. Yeah. That they would write it into a script and something, a funny scene, like with um, Angelina admitting mm. that she slept with Milton. Yeah. To get the part, um, to have that in a co- comic scene yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. You wouldn't. You wouldn't get that now. No. And thank the Lord, you know. Well, I think the jump between this and Scream Four definitely shows you how not only horror has evolved, but how cinema has evolved as well within 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going forward to 2011 now with Scream 4. Uh, this was made on the same budget, uh, 40 million. It was a success, but not a massive success. It made a lot less money than every other Scream film. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made it, it basically only just made its money back. Um Wes Craven didn't let anyone meet the killer on the other end of the phone again for this film. Um, a tradition he's kept up. Uh, again, it really shows. Uh, this was the last film Wes Craven made before he died from brain cancer, age 76 in 2015. Which I think is a great film to go out on. I mean, it really do. I think it's a great sequel. And, yeah. You know, I mean, imagine if it wasn't this and it was something like My Soul to Take. It, that would have been awful. But I think it really is a, a good swan song. Um, he actually said he wouldn't return for this film unless the script was as good as the first film. So he thought it was and he returned. Yeah. Um, David Arquette and Courtney Cox were separated whilst filming, but they remained professional. Can't really tell. No. In the film. It's not really that obvious. They're actors, aren't they? Yeah. Kevin Williamson had clashes with the Weinsteins, uh, leading to Aaron Kruger doing some rewrites again, but looking of this time, there are only minor changes. Mm. You can tell this is a Kevin Williamson film. Thank God. Um, both Neve Cam- Neve? Nev Campbell and Emma Roberts dislike horror films, uh, which is you know interesting because Nev Campbell's in the whole franchise. Emma Roberts has been in a lot of horror films and American <laughs> Horror Story. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time a CGI knife was used. Um... I couldn't tell. No. At all. Um, 
But apparently West didn't want to uh, go through props and and stuff again. Um, Chloe and Rachel were written with Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan in mind. <laughs> I mean, I'd have loved to have seen that myself. Gail and Dewey originally had a baby, but it was scrapped because having a baby on set would make filming impossible, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Kathy Conrad, producer of Scream 1, 2 and 3, filed a lawsuit against the Weinsteins because she was told she could produce every film within the franchise. Eventually, the lawsuit was dropped, though. Don't know why. Uh-huh. Scout Taylor Compton and Shane Dawson auditioned for roles. Thank God that never happened. Oh, God. Um, Roger Ebert only gave it two stars. Selena Gomez was considered for the role of Jill. Hilary Duff was actually attached to the film for a, for a while. Uh-huh. Didn't say who she was playing. No. Um, the original opening had Sydney stabbed at a book completion party. Uh, it was originally planned for a new trilogy, but obviously with Wes Craven dying and the TV series happening, that completely eliminated the possibility of so it. So they would have killed off Sydney at the very, very beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Um, and also, speaking of a TV series, there is a spin-off TV series, which is really great. Um, I haven't seen the third season, but season one and two are so really, really good. Um, yeah, apparently it, season two is meant to be very good. It is, and it's all on Netflix as well, um, if that? you haven't oh. seen it. Yeah, it, it is worth checking out. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with this story. And, and that just show, it just shows you know, the influence, the pop culture influence that the whole franchise had to the point it spawned its own TV show. And it is a very much, it was originally on MTV. It is a very much MTV style show. Um, yeah, it, it, it is worth watching. And body count for this film is 14, the highest body count out of all four films. Yeah. This one really ups the ante. Um, yeah, yeah. That Does that include the people at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, have you got a synopsis? Yes. So, um, we've got our opening sequence again, as we do with the other films. Best uh, opening sequence is the first film. Hands down. Yeah, yeah. So, what we get is... I'm not going to go into great detail, but we get the opening sequence of... Um, Stab 6 Stab 6 played out as the opening sequence of Stab 7 which is actually being watched by our real uh, Scream 4 murder victims Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense so these scenes are full of commentary on sequels how horrors evolved torture porn torture porn so in each one these girls are discussing um but our first murder is of two girls um they're alone in the house in woodsboro and they've just been sitting down to watch stab seven um it's the 15th anniversary of the original murders and sydney has returned to woodsboro to promote her book all about being into survival yes uh, Dewey is now the town sheriff and married to Gail, who is struggling to write her new book. So she's trying to be more positive and write proper books about nice things. And she can't do it because at heart she's an investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, evidence is found in Sydney's car from our murder and she must stay at her aunt's house until she can be ruled out as a suspect. Sydney's cousin Jill goes to Woodsboro High alongside her cheating ex Trevor, her two gal pals Olivia and Kirby, 
and the two movie geeks, Charlie and Robbie. Sydney's publicist and Olivia are murdered. Um, mm-hmm. I think the publicist is a great scene. Oh, it is a very good scene. Um, yeah. But Olivia's scene's better. Olivia's scene's more very violent. Clever. Yeah, they're both very clever. Um, I, I find the publicist... Um, when she's thrown off the roof mm. and she lands on a van as a press conference is going on yeah. where Dewey is telling everyone that they've got everything in hand. <laughs> that That's quite funny, yeah. you know. And she's not a likeable character, so we're allowed to laugh at her death. Um, but yeah, but Olivia's is quite violent and like, her guts are out on the bed and it's, everything. It's very much a case of the Silence of the Lambs as well. You think the killer's in one location, but he's in the yeah. other. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Gail now decides that she's going to uh, help investigate these murders. And she, this leads her to a stabathon, which is a movie marathon that the high schoolers put together each year uh, in a big barn. And so she's there and she's um, investigating and she's uh, placed cameras because she thinks that the killer's going to strike at the stabathon. Mm-hmm. Turns out the killer does, but her, and she ends up getting stabbed in the shoulder before the police arrive and she's taken to the hospital. Um, Jill wasn't allowed to go to the stabathon, but sneaks out to meet the others, so all her high school chums and cheating ex, at Kirby's house. Ghostface strikes at Sydney's aunt's house and Sydney's aunt is killed. Sydney goes to Kirby's and after Robbie and Kirby are killed, or not in Kirby's case, there's a big thing, isn't there, mm-hmm. about the fact that Kirby wasn't shown to have died. Yeah. But it wasn't stated that she'd lived either. And she was really a fan favourite. Yeah. And um, it's revealed that Charlie and Jill are the murderers. Jill is jealous of Sydney and her status as a survivor. And um, she's hatched a plan to steal Sydney's title. She disposes of Charlie because she doesn't need him anymore and stabs Sydney, setting up the scene to depict her as the sole survivor of the night. So essentially what they've been trying to do is make a remake or a reboot mm-hmm. of the original with Jill in Sydney's place. At the hospital, it's revealed that Sydney has survived and so Jill plans to finish the job but is intersected by Dewey, Gale, Deputy Judy Hicks, and Sydney herself, who kills Jill with a defibrillator. defibrillator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we end with Sydney and Jill on the floor, and news reports confirming Jill as the sole surviving heroine. Yeah. Um, Ironically. I mean, you missed out on the best things about the film there, Deputy Judy. We should not really do anything. <laughs> I think... The problem is, for a plot synopsis, <laughs> she doesn't actually do anything she plot-wise. She just has bitch-offs with Gail. Essentially, <laughs> but in plot-wise, and what actually happens, Judy and her lemon squares <laughs> don't actually have much to do with the real plot of the film. Yeah, uh, some of her first lines of dialogue, she's, her, she says to uh, Dewey, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon squares. <laughs> And Gail proceeds to tell her that her lemon squares taste like ass. <laughs> it, it's it's very much like the bickering between Jennifer and Gail in Scream 3. Yeah. But obviously you insert it into a good film here, so it works even better. Um, I love, one thing I love about this film is the fact that you can tell all these characters 
I absolutely done with this shit. Like the first time that Sydney gets a uh, a ghost face call in this film, she's just like, "What?" She, she doesn't even <laughs> yeah. give him the time of day. Like she knows this shit now. She knows what to do. She knows how to deal with this. At the end, I'm calling bullshit that she survived, but I'm glad she did. But you know, she really gets beaten in this film. But she still comes back and she still kills the killer. She still kicks ass. Yeah, this is the first time in the series where we generally think that Sydney could have died. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's quite sad, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, But also, and this is where Scream 3 struggled, is introducing new characters that we like. Yeah. That are likeable. And, you know, the... the, um, Reaction to Kirby, Mm. you know personifies that yeah. really um, because we like these characters and we are sad when they die and we are shocked when it's revealed that Jill is the killer mm. whereas in Scream 3 we're introduced to a heap loads of new characters that we don't give two shits about yeah yeah it, it, it is a Scream 4 is a solid sequel it really is I remember mm. the first time I watched it was actually at the cinema and I actually found it to be one of the scariest of the four films it's the most intense should I say um, yeah I mean right from the get go you know it, it never really lets up but it still keeps that soap drama camp stuff from the other films as well yeah you know it's, it's a good mixture like Scream 2 was um, it still manages to be funny yeah in, in um in a scene, Kirby um, is asked to do, basically do a horror film quiz. Yeah. You know, like the original the original film, a horror trivia. And Ghostface begins by asking about a remake of the classic. Mm. And she reels off, you know... Every has, single remake. Every single remake. Even fucking Piranhas mentioned. You know, and that, that's what these films do. It's yeah. funny. It's funny. But it's also in a quite intense scene. Mm. And it's also meta. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe the word meta is used too much, but... No, but know. it is. That's, that's what it yeah. is. Um, I mean, you know, you even get a bit of uh, commentary on gay characters in uh, in horror films in this one. Which is something I'm surprised... Kevin Williamson didn't do before this point. Well, he essentially said um, that the only way to survive in horror films now is to be gay. Because you can have sex and... uh, You can not have sex and still die. Yeah. You can have sex and survive. You can, you know, drink and still live. Um, And all that business. The only real way to survive is to be gay. I don't don't know what film that's referencing. No, me neither. Oh. But it, it comes about one of the characters saying that he's gay before he's killed. And obviously, this could just be uh, him trying to survive. No, it is. It, it is. is, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, one of the movie geeks who who said this, um, as he's being murdered, he said, oh, I'm gay, I'm gay. And then he gets a, a sort of confused look from Ghostface. He's like, if it helps. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, he's actually from... The guy who does that is from Saw 2. And there's a moment where he, you know, he mocks Saw. He says something about Saw and he's from that film. Um, the rest of the cast as well are fantastic in this film. Um, I mean, as we mentioned, Kirby is a great character. Uh, played really well. Emma Roberts is fantastic uh, as the killer. It's completely believable. 
Um, and the scene where she fight clubs herself, just throws herself into everything and oh, tears her hair. It's yeah. fucking insane. Like, it, it is really like, you know, she comes across as the most psychotic killer out of all the films. Why do you think the film didn't do so well? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if people have just forgotten about the franchise. Do you think that's the case? Because... But it's like the first film. People have forgotten about horror. It didn't do so well, but then word of mouth got about and it became a success. Scream yeah. 4 now is a cult classic. People love it. The internet worships this film. Do you think the people that grew up with the films, the Scream films, mm. are too old? Because we, we were essentially, according to the BBFC or MPAA, too young to watch these films yeah. when we watched them. So anyone who went to the cinema to watch these films, do you think they were over it by the time? Maybe. Maybe. And all the people who weren't, like us... Yeah. You know, do you think we maybe just wait for the DVD or the Blu-ray? Well... As a, a general audience. Yeah. We would, you know, gone to see it in the cinema. Yeah. Um, but you think a general audience who... A lot of these films try to capture. You have to yeah. capture a general audience to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think they were over it? Maybe. Maybe. Well, all I do know is the audience has changed for these films. Like mm. I said, I you know they always come across to me as they were targeted for a, a more, you know, a gay audience or a female audience. Um, but now it's at the point where that is the reality. Where, you know, it's new generation of fans that have found it through Scream 4, you know, and this new court following, it's a majorly gay audience. Yeah. And female. Like, I mean, every single gay podcast has done an episode on Scream 4. Mm. Every single one that I know of. You know, that's why I didn't want to just do Scream 4 on its own and do the whole thing. Um, it, that says it all. It, it really says it all. I mean, you know, people love these films. Um, and the fact it's getting a fifth film, just from the fans' reaction and not from the box office... Reaction. Mm. I think it's been nine years since Scream 4 was released. And, you know, the fact that Radio Silence think it's, you know, it's still valid enough to get another sequel and continue, then I think now's the perfect time to bring it back. Because, you know, you had Scream that's led to the whole... uh, This, you know, even Scream 4 has led to the likes of Scream Queens coming after it. You know, American Horror Story's got more camps as as the years have gone on. I think Scream 4's, you know, had the same sort of influence over modern audiences and the court following it's gathered as the original would have had back in the day. But what do you think Scream 5 would comment on? So the first one was about horror films in general. I'm yeah. interested. Or because, slasher yeah. films specifically. Yeah. The second one was sequels and mm-hmm. specific, specifically horror sequels. Yeah. The third one was a mess. Yeah. I have no idea what it was trying to comment on. <laughs> And the fourth one was talking about reboots and it, remakes. It mentioned remakes, it mentioned reboots, it mentioned sequels again, it mentioned torture porn, it mentioned found footage. Mm. So yeah, it, it really narrows it down. It really, it does not, it is strange to, to try and think of what they could go with next because the only sort of horror trend we've had since is more sophisticated made horror films. Yeah. So I, or I don't know. will they just do it as an out-and-out horror film? Maybe, maybe. But I can't see Radio that, Silence doing that about. I was going to say, but then that's losing what makes Scream Scream. Yeah. 
Well, we will find out next year when it's being made. Yeah, hopefully um, we find out as soon as possible. Quick one before we finish. We did a poll to find out your favourite entries in the franchise and you, people of the internet, said Scream, Scream 4, Scream 3 and Scream 2 last. <laughs> you know, whatever. Sorry, everyone's entitled to their uh, Mine the is middle. 1, 2, 4 and 3. I assume yours is the same. 1, 2, 4 and 3, yeah. Yeah, so that's our Scream episode. And uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, like, follow, and everything else. Speak to us about Scream on socials, uh, Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter, and DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. And we will see you on Friday for our original versus remake episode on Fright Night. Bye.